We'll be reading a few different passages in Habakkuk today. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong, destruction, and violence are before me? There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteousness, so that justice is perverted. Um, 2, 1 through 2. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. 3, 1 through 2. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. O Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no foods, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Courtney, and welcome again to Holy Trinity Church. I'm John, one of the pastors here, and has been, as has been said a couple times already this morning, uh, we're going to do things a little differently, and uh, we'll have a short Q&A time after the service where you can ask me, ask me and Sully any questions about the book of Habakkuk or some of the direction of where we're going as a church. Part of the reason why we're doing this is in two weeks, we will have a uh, a period where we are sharing our vision for the next three to four years, and we want to make you aware of that. So if you have any questions about our direction and where we're going as a church, you're welcome to, to uh, ask those questions as well. And then we're also going to be doing something in December where we are beginning some planning for next year and asking the people of God to tell us uh, confidentially how they might pledge towards the work that God's called us to do. So we'll also be doing that in a few weeks, beginning really December 5th. And uh, if there are no questions, we're going to have a spontaneous time of prayer. So you can choose whichever way we want to go. I want to open today by um, thinking about a man of faith who, for me, was a kind of hero growing up. His name is George Mueller, and he lived in the 19th century from 1805 to 1898. He was a man of faith. Um, he mainly, his main work was caring for orphans, and during his lifetime, he cared for more than 10,000 orphans, 10,024 to be exact, is the number that he cared for. And uh, part of what was so impressive and striking about his life was his desire to do everything he could to depend on God for his provision and for prayer. And uh, there's many stories. If you uh, want to read one of his biographies, there's a few that are good, but I'll tell you just um, two quick stories related to him. One is there's a young woman named Abigail Townsend Luff, who was a child when her father was working a little bit for George Mueller um, at the orphanage, which was called the um, Ashley, Ashley Down. And there was a morning where the table was all set for breakfast for the children and for the orphans, and they sat down at the table, 
and thank God for the food, even though there was no food in the kitchen and no food in the pantry. And a few minutes later, there was a knock at the door, and it was the, the town baker, and he opened the door, he came inside and said God had put it on his heart that morning to give them bread. And uh, so supposedly, or accordingly, George Mueller said that God has provided not only bread for us, but he's provided fresh bread as well. And then a few minutes later, I know this is a little hard to believe, the milk carriage broke down right outside, and um, so they brought milk in as well, so they had bread and milk that was fresh that day. But here's what, here's what um, George Mueller says about his life. He says, there was a day when I died, utterly died, and I died to George Mueller, his opinions, his preferences, his tastes, and his will. I died to the world, to its approval and its censure. I died to the approval or blame of even my brothers and friends. And since then, I have studied to show myself approved only to God. Now, it's a high calling to think of a person like him. But it's in one sense, you could summarize Habakkuk in this way, that it's a call to live by faith. Not to live the life that Habakkuk lived or George Mueller lived, but the life that God is calling you to live by faith in the ways that he's uniquely gifted you to do what only you can do in the world. Faith is the great theme of Habakkuk, which you see in verse 4 of chapter 2, where it says, The righteous, that is those who are pleasing to God, are the ones who shall live by faith. And so my, my claim is very simple this morning, which is that God has, has a life of faith that he has called you to live. I'm going to pray. All I'm going to do this morning, and I'm going to try to do this in about 15 minutes, uh, and then we'll move to Q&A, is just draw out four lessons from the book of Habakkuk. But before we do, will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, prophets like Habakkuk who... Um, Speak with audacity, speak with courage, speak almost with presumption. And as we close out this book today and look back on just a couple of lessons from it, we pray that you would strengthen us and speak to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Lesson number one is really from the first few verses that we read, which is, and it's very simple, it's, it's the claim that God cares about justice and mercy and righteousness, that he does. That the reason why Habakkuk can do what we've called sue God or suing God is because Habakkuk knows from the Old Testament, from the law, and from the other prophets that God has a care for the orphan and the widow and the sojourner. And that God is not like us in our tendency to be preferential, in our tendency to discriminate, in our tendency to elevate ourselves over others, he is a God who cares for all and desires justice and mercy for all. Here's what we read in, in the first four verses. This is Habakkuk's complaint, and you'll hear how justice and righteousness are embedded in his prayer. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, and so justice goes forth perverted. Without question, the last 18 months have been challenging for us all. 
But Habakkuk gives us a kind of courage to cry out to God in despair when we see what we believe to be injustice in the world and to ask him to bring justice. Habakkuk gives voice to those who see the inadequacy of justice in our city and the inadequacies of the law in our country. Habakkuk spoke in a day in the 17th century BC when there was great violence in Judah and his his critique of God is that God is unhearing, unacting, and unseeing. And in the book of Habakkuk, what God really does is say to him, there are things that I'm doing that you do not see, that you do not understand. There are ways in which I am already working. I know that Uh, In this room, and certainly across our country, people are very divided about the verdict that came forth last week, and I actually don't want to say anything about it at the moment. All I want to do is to say this, that God, I believe God is calling Holy Trinity Church to be a church that first and foremost follows Jesus and trusts in him. Justification by faith alone says that he alone is the one who is our King and Lord, but also to seek the justice that our King and Savior Jesus will eventually bring and was part of his life. God's calling us in the years to come to continue to be or to grow as a church that's holistic and our love for those who are downtrodden and who are on the margins of society. So love Christ, yes, but also have his heart for justice. Care about evangelism and telling the good news of the gospel, but also care about the fabric of our neighborhoods and those who are disenfranchised, who may not have come from a position of advantage, but have come from a position of disadvantage. That's my first lesson, just that God cares about mercy and justice and righteousness, that that is his character, and that the church is to call to emulate that character as well. The second simple lesson as we look back on Habakkuk is that God calls us to live by faith. Or put it differently, he calls us to live by faith in what you might call an alternative vision of the world. That is, there are so many narratives in our world about what we're to do with our lives. But what Habakkuk realizes when he receives the word in the second chapter is that there's a vision that God has for the entirety of the universe that involves him crushing the head of wickedness and evil, bringing salvation for his anointed, as it says in in chapter 3, that is the defining story of Habakkuk's life. And part of what God calls us to do as people who want to live by faith is to allow the story of the scriptures to seep into our hearts and our lives so deeply that it shapes us more than the surrounding culture and indeed helps us to shape the culture around us as well. Our vision as a church is to see the city of Chicago transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that happens as we are shaped by the story of who Jesus is. I was listening to a podcast this week that was interviewing the conservative uh, social commenter, um, David Brooks, who's a New York Times um, writer and journalist and has written for The Atlantic and many other um, publications. And he was being interviewed by a friend uh, 
of some of you or a hero of some of you named John Mark Homer in this interview, what he was talking about as uh, John Mark Homer was interviewing David Brooks, they began to talk a little bit about this idea of cultural warfare and the tendency of the church today to set itself against the culture. And there was a moment when David Brooks um, began speaking about his own conversion story, having been raised as a Jew, a secularist Jew, but also having been taught many of the the teachings of the Torah from a young age, and then also going to, this is a little odd, an Episcopalian elementary school, so hearing kind of the word, he eventually began to question whether or not a soul really exists, whether or not there's such thing as as a human soul, and it began to shift his view of God. And he eventually committed his life actually to Christ and converted from Judaism to Christianity. But he said at one point in this discussion about kind of culture wars, he said, this, he just said that he wishes that the churches would tell the beauty of the story of the gospel. That we have such an amazing story about who Christ is as he came into the world and took on flesh, and that we know how the story ends, and it ends in a way that speaks of redemption. That's what I mean when I'm saying that we are to live by faith, but a faith that's rooted in an alternative vision. This is how Habakkuk hears it in verse 2 of chapter 2. The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For the vision awaits at its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. And then this verse, which is really the theme of Habakkuk, behold, his soul is puffed up, it's not upright within him, but, and he's speaking of the Chaldeans there, but the righteous shall live by faith. So my simple challenge to you is live by faith. And what I mean by that is to live not merely by sight, but to allow your story to be shaped by the grand narrative of the entry of God into the world through the person of Jesus, and to take steps of faith where you can take, take steps of faith. That doesn't mean just do irrational things, like drive down the wrong way on a highway or something like that, but actually to listen to the leadership of the Spirit in your life and to follow his leadership in, in the word, to live by faith. Some of you may have a step of faith that you need to take in your business, or in prayer, or in education. Taking vows of membership is a kind of step of faith. Others may need to put roots down in a neighborhood, or perhaps God is calling you to invest in your neighborhood in a certain way. Others of you may, as David said earlier, need to surrender yourself to Christ in a step of faith. So, lesson one, God cares about the issues of justice and mercy and righteousness. Two is God called us to live by faith. With our faith in the alternative vision of the world that God has. The third thing I'm going to say is is the end of the text that we looked at, the very last thing that um, was read today, which is that I'll put it this way. God calls us sometimes to go through lean times and times of plenty. But that's part of what he calls us to do, to to go through seasons of fruitlessness. When Habakkuk saw the vision of God in in chapter 3, this tremendous 
view of the holiness of God coming from Teman and then coming as a warrior, he was overwhelmed with the presence of God, began to shake in his presence. But then he had this commitment of determination to say that what he would do is go through the times of fruitlessness. This is what he says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. There's a sense of commitment there to go through the lean times. And there's a lot of ways in which the last 18 months uh, have felt lean for many people. Very literally, our, there were shelves at the beginning of the pandemic that were empty. Many in, our, in, in the city of Chicago uh, were deprived of their normal food that they might be able to have. And I, so I'm saying fruitless days will come. And God has called us to go through those lean times with a kind of dependence on him and a faith that is in him. In one sense, Chicago is a very lean place spiritually. Um, when I talk to friends who have relocated from other cities to do mission work here, such as at University of Illinois at Chicago, and then others come and visit them, <laughs> they're told, you don't realize how hard the work is that you are doing here. And I don't like to glorify it, and I usually say that's not true, but there is a sense in which the ground in, heart in, in Chicago can be very hard. And it can be very lean. But my prayer is that God would, would help us to see beyond the lean times and also see the days of abundance that he has ahead for us and the ways in which he, I believe, is going to bless the city of Chicago and continue to bless Holy Trinity Church. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul who, who says that he has learned the secret of being content in either great need or in abundance. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I'm just acknowledging that there are times when God calls us to go through lean times, times we had 14 years in the Murphy Auditorium, and we were able to stay there uh, in, in a in, in, in a place where we kind of knew our own destiny, and we're in this moment where we're just bouncing from place to place. Much of Israel's uh, following of the Lord was wandering around, but following the pillar of cloud and following the pillar of fire. So God does call us to go through lean times. The last thing I'll say is this, is that lament and prayer and cries for renewal are a, a normal part of our community and of our own lines. Lament and prayer and cries for renewal are normal, <laughs> that they should shape us as we move into the future. Lament is good, but a vision for renewal in one sense is just as good. So our culture needs lament, and there's been much lament over the last 18 months. But our culture also needs a vision for renewal and needs prayers for the renewal of our city, of our church, and of our own hearts. So let's Continuing that, I'll just close with. I'm going to close with two quick stories. One is a very secular story, but it it still is a picture of a kind of faith. One of my other heroes is Daniel Burnham, who gave us uh, the Chicago Plan of 1901, but really gave us the lakefront in the way it is now. He said that the lake sh lakefront should belong to the people, and he's the one who said, "Make no small plans." 
They have no magic to stir men and women's souls. And what he's saying is, root yourself in a vision that's bigger than you and broader than you and grander than you. And let me just return back to George Mueller, who he had a kind of secret that he spoke of that I just want to close with, which I think is an illustration of what faith looks like. And here's, here's what uh, George Mueller said. He said, the first, and, and I'm challenging you to this this week, and in the days to come, the first and great primary business to which I ought to attend every day, listen to this, is to have my soul happy in the Lord. <laughs> That's what faith, in a sense, looks like, is it looks like turning on a daily basis to the Lord to rest in the finished work of Christ on your behalf. It's not, it's not happiness in the secular sense of the word, but a sense of delight and who God is on a daily basis. That's what faith really looks like. He says, according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, to see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press in upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims on your attention, but I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. That's what faith looks like. So I, wherever you work, wherever God has called you to study, whatever vocation you have, may be said of you that you have lived by faith and that you've found yourself happy in the Lord on a daily basis. That's slightly longer than 15 minutes. It was 20 minutes and three seconds. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Okay, Father in heaven, we thank you for Habakkuk, we thank you for this challenge to live by faith. We admit that our souls can be so discontented before you in the midst of so many swirling emotions and so many uh, changes in our culture. And we ask, O oh Lord, that our, our hearts would be happy in you, that you would call us to live a life of faith for you, to exalt in a, faith, in a life of faith together in our city, and may we continue to cry out to you for renewal in the days to come. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.